Hello, Fusion Health friends. Michael Smith here. Just a quick little pre-episode uh, information. We had a glitch happen with the battery and some cameras and audios and things. So about half an hour in, there's going to be about 10 minutes where the sound is a little bit off. But it's still there. Um, we will put the video version up uh, for this episode as well. Uh, it's just going to have some weird sound in it, but uh, I think we've figured it out. So the next one should have perfect sound, perfect video. That will be awesome. So uh, just a quick preface for this episode. is going to be about 10 minutes where it sounds a bit sort of echoey and weird. Otherwise, enjoy. Hello, I'm Anthony Senna. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And this is Fusion Health Radio, the health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast. Episode 37, Medical Cannabis. What is working? Welcome to Fusion Health Radio, your source for inspiration, information, and insight on what it really takes and what really matters on your journey to abundant health. Hello, and welcome to Fusion Health Radio today. Thanks for coming back if you're a loyal listener, and uh, hello if this is your first time here. I'm Anthony Senna in studio today with Dr. Michael Smith. Michael, how are you today? Uh, pretty good. Recovering from a bit of a flu, and I sang really, really lots loud. Shredded my voice last night, so I sound a little, a little uh, so, no, cigar what? smoker kind of. <laughs> well, I was going to say sexier, but well, yeah, I could try and go for my phone sex voice. But this is, uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, today we're talking about uh, medical cannabis. And for those of you who are listening, no, we're not high. Uh, and this is a very serious conversation. Michael has been asking to talk about medical cannabis uh, for the past uh, few podcasts. Uh, we've been sort of putting it off because we've had other topics come up. Um, and uh, before we get into that, uh, Michael, do you want to sort of qualify as to why you're actually, um, I guess, allowed or capable to talk about medical cannabis? I can read. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't, don't mean to come off as a bit of a twit there, but one thing that I find quite, um, I don't know, frustrating and limiting and weird in the modern world is that uh, especially say with cannabis or with almost anything you know we have this sort of uh, presumption that you need to have some kind of degree to have information that's qualifiable so sometimes when people ask me why why are you talking about that i like to just say i can read just because anyone who can read or can you know ask dr google i mean sure it's 50 50 you're going to get exactly what you need to know but i think it is fair to say in the, the modern world we are a very informed species, perhaps overly informed. Um, and I think it's pretty fair that, uh, uh, you know, we're all kind of researchers in a way. So mm -hmm. that's my kind of offhand comment. So what actually uh, qualifies me? Let's see. I've been in medical practice for 20 years. I uh, teach clinicians, so I'm always researching. Uh, as a patient with autoimmune disease, I use medical cannabis for my own self-care. Um, I'm a avid researcher, so I do try and figure this stuff out. And, uh, oh, yeah, I could kind of plug something in the sometime future. Uh, I'm going to be producing a course and then a training manual. Uh, the course is going to be called Medical Cannabis for Clinicians, Patients, and Caregivers. And uh, hopefully we're going to get that manual in every clinic in this country, at least, because obviously cannabis is here to stay unless something draconian and weird happens. <laughs> please no, please no. Unless we, and, go, unless we go back in time. Yeah. And... Um, because I choose to really dig deep into this stuff, I'm pretty confident that um, as a researcher and an educator, I could put that together. And it's very likely within the next little while, I'm going to have a Kickstarter campaign or GoFundMe or, <clears throat> excuse me, 
uh, some kind of crowdfunding thing just because it's going to take a lot of money to produce that course and do all the research and uh, make it pretty. Hmm. Um, you're a busy guy as it is. <laughs> this is going to be one of those things just added to the top of the top of the list, I think. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, I, I guess for me, because I'm doing a lot of online courses uh, right now, uh, the basic background uh, mechanics and technology and programs and microphones and cameras and computers and stuff <laughs> that I'm randomly pointing out here, uh, it's all in place. So honestly, it's just a matter of giving myself the time to sit down and, and record the information. So, I think um, it's very... Uh, timely that you wanted to talk about uh, medical cannabis. I mean, I know in Canada here, there's been different things I've seen pop up on uh, Facebook around uh, legalization, how it's happening in different province, provinces, mm -hmm. um, uh, people complaining about how it's happening in Ontario, um, people uh, praying that it doesn't happen the same way here in BC. Mm -hmm. um, you don't want to necessarily get into the politics of uh, the whole issue today, do you? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, if, if, if that's true, I mean, what is it that uh, uh, people have to um, to worry about in terms of the way that they want to legalize it here in BC? Uh, well, I think I'd start federally. Okay. Um, so our grand poobah, Justin Trudeau, <laughs> who came in like the savior on... Hang on a sec. For those of you listening from the United States... <laughs> All right, he's called Prime Minister. Sorry. <laughs> he's not really a poobah. <laughs> so I'm not really fond of him right now, so... So uh, there's actually a rumor going around that he owns half of one of the larger license producing companies uh, through a trust or something, uh, which sort of gives people the conspiracy side of the conversation that um, there's a conflict of interest with our government uh, trying to make everyone who has medical access to cannabis buy their cannabis from an LP or a licensed producer. And uh, coming up in July uh, 2018, which is just a few months away, um, most people or anyone pretty much in Canada is allowed to grow, I think, three to five plants uh, per household, which is kind of dumb because some households have one person and some have 20. And it's also kind of dumb because if you've never tried to grow cannabis and you're going to try and, you know, magically come up with the probably 10 grand it takes to build a proper grow up. Um, I'm just sort of imagining all the people who don't know what they're doing going to burn down their house or end up with black mold or all the other stuff because it's not, you know, garden tomatoes if you want to do it properly. And if you need medicine all year, you're going to be growing it indoor, you know, doing several rounds per year, which usually requires two rooms and then blah, blah, blah. So it, it's it's just a really weird, untenable thing. And mm. also they want, uh, if you're going to grow at home um, with your new rules that you can do that, um, you have to buy your starts from a licensed producer. So they're going to mail you a bunch of baby cannabis instead of buying the seeds of the strain you like the most or things like that. I mean, I have a patient, he's back in Ontario, which is on the other side of the country, more or less, um, from British Columbia. And, um, <coughs> excuse me, got a little cold. Um, he bought $600 worth of cannabis from a licensed producer in Victoria, which is in BC, and uh, they sent it to him and it was brown and he called them and said why is it brown it's supposed to be green and they said oh well we use this unique blah blah this thing that thing and he finally dug into it and the truth came out that they microwaved the cannabis instead of curing it to dry it out and you know make it microwaved yeah and you know if you know anything about cannabis there's a thing called decarboxylation which changes which alkaloids do what 
So depending on the temperature of the microwave, never mind what microwaves do to plant proteins and other things, this poor guy is trying to smoke medical cannabis, you know, that's now like ripping his throat out because it's so hard to smoke, even if the I think he was using a vaporizer. And it felt terrible to him. Just, you know, you're nuking all the cannabinoids and who knows what's actually going to happen. So that system is really, really sketchy right now. Um, the other side of the conversation is um, if we look at the dispensary system that's sort of grassroots right now, it's, it's all illegal. Uh, I mean, last year at this time, we had more dispensaries in this town than we had traffic lights, which I just love to say a lot. Because <laughs> Welcome to my hometown. Where <laughs> and for, for those of you who are counting, seven. Right. Oh, we're at seven now. Eh? Uh, it was seven dispensaries <clears throat> then. Yeah. And uh, I think um, they applied for some sort of uh, variances in terms of um, uh, business licenses. Yeah. And uh, I think five were approved and two had to, um, you got to be this tall to get in. They had to do some other things. Yeah. I'm not sure where, that it, where it stands right now. but yeah. So when we look at the dispensary system, uh, as illegal as it is, it's working perfectly. You have these mom and pop shops that are, you know, owned by people in that town. Uh, the people working in the dispensary now have a really good job. Um, you know, in Nelson, especially because cannabis is kind of our industry and has been know, since I moved here 20 years ago. Uh, everything's local. It's relatively organic. Most people use predatory mites instead of pesticides, so there's no toxins. You know, and, and a lot of people who really enjoy cannabis as a part of their life, I mean, that plant for them is relatively sacred. So they I mean, they're literally singing over it in their basement or whatever as they're growing it. You know, so that's a very different relationship in the sense of from growing to extracting to having it available for people on the shelf at a dispensary. That system is working perfectly and it's totally grassroots and you could say craft beer like in the sense that um, it's all very local. And I can't think of, in the sense of just how economies work and need to work more, how we could possibly make it better than that. Well, I think the uh, the whole idea of uh, government intervention is um, to protect people from, from something. I'm not quite sure, but they want to make sure that kids don't have access to it or that it's not abused in some way. In the same way that they've been yeah. controlling alcohol for years, <laughs> right? Um, and that's really working, isn't it? No, no kids ever get alcohol. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm not sure what happened in my childhood, but maybe I grew up on another planet where you could just walk up to a beer store, ask some dude to get you beer, and they would just buy you beer. So it's going to be the same thing. If people want access to something, they're going to find access to something. Mm. Right. So here's another thing. Most dispensaries that have been uh, around for a while uh, all have websites with stores. Mm -hmm. And it's actually a Supreme Court enforced kind of thing that if you want cannabis mailed to your door, Canada Post is legally, you know, allowed to mail it to your door. So even if, you know, our government decides to outlaw all dispensaries and try and just have it come through the liquor board or uh, through like, uh, say, the drugstores and stuff, because that's sort of the two options right now is you can buy it next to your alcohol or you can buy it next to your pharmaceuticals or both. Um, because, you know, again, the illegal dispensaries are somehow to be afraid of. Right. But every patient who signed up to a dispensary now, and that's hundreds of dispensaries across the country and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, will just order it online and completely ignore the crap you're going to find at the, the liquor store or the drugstore. Hmm. Right? So I suppose in, in some ways, um, whatever it is the government's trying to do to uh, organize the um, 
standardization of, of growing practices and all that kind of thing mm. is going to be geared towards dispensaries only, or sorry, um, their own um, method of dispensing. Yeah. Uh, but uh, dispensaries, if they move online, they can still get product from the mom and pop shops. Yeah, you're never going to get rid of that part of the cannabis industry. And when it comes to the idea that dispensaries are illegal and this, I mean, sure, there are people who are producing really, really, you know, crappy extracts. Uh, say using uh, butane or isopropyl alcohol or other things that in the long term aren't really all that healthy for people. But, you know, dare I bring up the ridiculously obvious thing of, well, most of this stuff is lab tested now just because the only way you're going to get a dispensary to buy your extracts is to have a lab test saying you actually know what's in there and what's not. Mm -hmm. And uh, the dispensaries that I consult because as a clinician, they're often asking, you know, what, what goes best with what, um, they're already there. I mean, no dispensary wants to sell crappy extracts or cannabis to their patients. So everything is lab tested. So the government doesn't need to do anything except, you know, ask them to keep a record of the lab test saying there's no poison in this and mm -hmm. there's exactly 20 milligrams of THC per mil or whatever your, your thing is. And then people as patients can walk into any dispensary knowing that what business would possibly be stupid enough to sell something that's going to hurt people mm. well i mean my experience with dispensaries is pretty limited just being here in nelson mm. uh but my perspective uh on what it is i see they have a great care and concern for health and well-being they're not just selling dime bags to stoners uh, that's not their market mm. uh, they're actually looking for people who uh, want to use it as a uh, benefit to their health in some way mm -hmm. um so i the, the places that I've seen and the people that I've talked to in the different dispensaries, um, they all have a very uh, keen interest in being more uh, medically um, up to speed on their product than anything. Yeah, oh yeah, that course that I'm developing will also be renamed. It'll be the same course. I'm just going to put another sticker on it, and it's going to be I know, how to be a great blood tender or something because <laughs> everybody <laughs> behind the counter at a dispensary at some point, assuming we get to have dispensary in a year or two, will require some certificate saying that they know exactly what they're allowed to uh, tell patients and what they're not. Uh, but also so, so those people as educators or as uh, people at the front line of dispensing cannabis uh, know as much as they possibly would need to. Even mm -hmm. if they can't give any kind of actual medical advice, at least they can answer questions. Yeah, yeah, of course. And, you know, the people that I have talked to are, um, I guess, the dispensary owners. Um, and some of the more, I guess, senior staff, if you want to call it that, uh, they're, they don't just hire kids off the street for a summer job to say, here, um, when people come in, charge them this much for this. It's not just a regular Joe job. It's actually a fairly um, uh, lofty, official uh, kind of uh, position to be uh, selling uh, health-related stuff. Uh, I would think that if you were going to a dispensary here in Nelson anyways, um, you'd probably get medical better medical advice uh, from somebody at a dispensary than you would at, say, a pharmacy. Or your medical doctor who's decided for whatever reason not to know anything about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and I would, would throw this out to you that um, there, there are a couple of uh, dispensary chains that are really, really big, and I don't want to name any of them because they're run by criminal organizations, it turns out. Um, but... I would say if you're a patient seeking access to dispensary cannabis, you know, you're going to have to talk to some clinicians to get the paperwork worked out to make that happen. But 
in most cases, it's probably a better idea to avoid the bigger chains just because they're going to be making those big chain decisions when supplies run low or uh, when they're accessing extracts, they're going to be going to the people who are, I guess, just more likely to be doing things in an industrial way. And maybe at some point that's going to turn out to be better, but right now it's turning out to be, I don't know, kind of 50-50 positive and negative just because big business is concerned about, you know, making millions of dollars a month, mm-hmm. you know, whereas, <clears throat> you know, a solo dispensary that's, you know, run by people who actually live, you know, probably above it or below it, uh, you know, again, they're, they're in a very different relationship with what they're doing. I mean, most people I know that started a dispensary have a very long history with cannabis. It saved them, it saved their mom, it saved their kid, literally saved their lives. A lot of the people you're going to meet behind the counters, as you said, they're not just, you know, looking for a summer job these people are usually there because they're very attracted to medical cannabis because again it saved their lives for someone that they know or they're presently using it for treatment or i mean some of them are just connoisseurs they enjoy a a nice cup of hot chocolate with a bit of a a hash joint or their particular uh, extract or edible or something as a way to enjoy your evening and and again Mm. it's the safest uh, psychoactive substance in the world it's never killed anybody Right. Whereas Western medicine, you know, depending on whose math you use, they're either the number three or the number one killer on the planet right now. Yeah. Wow. So, and I'm not picking on them. They're just, they're, I mean, it's our, it's our fault as patients as much as Western medicine as, as a system, because we keep asking emergency care p- trained doctors, because that's all they're trained really to do is deal with emergent stuff like infections and stuff. And now we're asking them to deal with chronic illness and depression and, you know, stuff that even psychiatrists are basically just saying, take your pill. Mm. you know and and i could get into the how i mean if we want to make a geek out on exactly how cannabis can way outdo uh, on a biomedical level the function of almost every uh, pharmaceutical psychiatric medication on the planet almost everyone wow um bunch of questions i gotta uh, bring it up <laughs> in, in, in a dispensary situation so i mean i've gone into them and I've, I've talked to different people just out of curiosity but um i don't smoke weed and i've don't really have a need for medical cannabis at this point in my life. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I ever will touch some kind yeah, of wood. I could use my head. Yeah. <laughs> Knocking. You hear that? <laughs> but is, uh, how much of a dispensary is uh, set up for um, uh, people coming in to buy things for medical needs as opposed to people uh, going there just to buy, uh, I don't know, recreational weed? Well, I mean, I would say... Another way to ask that question would be, you know, when you go into a dispensary, how many of the products are designed primarily for um, medical use in the sense that they're being dosed of a very specific alkaloid or a very specific combination of alkaloids uh, or terpenes or other things that are extracted from cannabis or from other plants that make cannabis work better. And that's going to be a dispensary that's primarily focused on medical care because most of their products look like you know, something with a label that says this many milligrams per dose, you know, does not look like a, you know, a A Ziploc bag. (laughs) Well, it doesn't look like a a bunny rabbit gummy bear or something like that, or it doesn't look like a brownie because who with chronic illness is going to want to eat a freaking brownie? (laughs) You know, it's full of flour and sugar and stuff. So pardon me for getting a little excited there. Um, And then there's dispensaries and we have one in town. It's beautiful. It looks like a jewelry store. Every, Mm -hmm. every little bud is like a little perfect, you know, A grades, you know, trimmed up little nugget of cannabis. And there's lovely labels, you know, with artistic artwork around the label. And you walk in and it's like, oh my God, this is like, you know, the Manhattan or something like that. 
And that kind of a dispensary, you see there's probably five or six extracts that they have that are primarily medical, you know, in a sense that a patient can say, I'm getting how many milligrams of THC, how many milligrams of CBD, um, you know, um, or it's something that they are already pre-mixed for, for the dose. So, you know, a dispensary like that is obviously very attracting, very much attracting patients that are more interested in the cannabis culture of smoking the flowers, right? Whereas other people are like, I don't want to smoke anything. And I can say as a clinician, the last thing I recommend anyone do is smoke it. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying, I don't say I'm, I'm recommending people that it's a really horrible idea. It's that if I go through a protocol with people from step A to Z, it's at Z that I say, and if things are so screwed up right now that you absolutely need immediate relief care and you don't have a vaporizer and you're going to smoke it, at the same time, take your edibles so that after the smokable wears off in 90 minutes and the edibles come on in 90 minutes, which is trippy when you think about it because it's like someone planned it that way. <laughs> um, you know, that way the person can have a, you know, their entire day uh, with respect to being medicated for relief care uh, without having to smoke five or six times a day, right? So again, smoking is the least and last medical choice. So when you go to a dispensary and all you see is flowers, clearly the person who's you know, owning or running the dispensary has that relationship with cannabis, which isn't very medical. Whereas you go to other dispensaries and you're going to see maybe a dozen jars of flour, you know, specifically indica, specifically sativa, specifically hybrid. So it's very clear exactly what you're getting. Uh, again, they're all lab tested. And most of the stuff, you know, under usually a nice glass counter is stuff that's specifically for medical use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and that's been my experience going into uh, dispensaries here. Uh, certainly the one that you described, it looks like the uh, the high-end jewelry store, which is quite beautiful mm-hmm. uh, to go in there and see the way everything oh, is laid it's, out. It's, I mean, uh, we, um, should, we should have pictures to show people. <laughs> uh, but there was another, uh, I forget what the name of the place was, um, the one that closed. Anyways, going in there and um, they had um, sort of like an open living room kind of concept. And then they had uh, small sort of side uh, areas so that you could actually go and speak to somebody privately. Um, and the place that actually uh, had any of the uh, marijuana in it was um, this little small thing at the very, very back of the place um, that had uh, a big lock on the door. And it was almost like getting um, um, at a border crossing when you're talking to somebody through, you know, three inch, uh, oh, bulletproof glass kind of thing. It, it, it was so, so different. Hmm. Um, and you know, you could only get anything out of there if you actually had the prescription, whatever it was in your hand. Right. It wasn't just, Oh yeah, come on in here, smoke this. Um, yeah. Like I said, there's places that are relatively criminal and there's places that are really, really focused on being medical. Yeah. Very cool. And, um, across, I mean, your experience here in Nelson with people, um, can you uh, speak to how, um, I guess, the everyday public actually has an attitude towards uh, uh, using cannabis? Um, and would you say that that's actually true? Is, is how it is that we deal with cannabis here in Nelson um, true of how it would be across Canada or in other, other cities, you think? I think in one way, yes, because anything like a big change in your country, like now we can have cannabis, that's going to polarize the conversation. So although the conversation is definitely polarized here, it's, it's like running into a pink polar bear, you know, in the sense that everybody here looks like a polar bear, except for that very one or two or three actual people in this entire community who are just up in arms against it because, um, 
they've had a bad experience or a family member's had a bad experience or it's a religious thing or it's just, you know, grinding from a 1950s sense of control and fear, hmm. right? And I get it. I mean, change is change and it can be scary. And if you're worried about your kids um, getting into some uh, trouble and now that it's easier for them to get into trouble, you know, that fear seems to be escalated. But I think that's just human nature because... I'll put this maybe in a completely different context. So, and I hope I do this clearly. So let's say we got the pink polar bear people that are just no matter what polarized and against it because they're afraid that their kid is going to turn into one of those people you meet that has that grayish skin. They're very sort of sallow, uh, sort of saggy features. Um, they have what we would call a blunted affect. You know, they behave as what you would consider to be the chronic stoner person. They just walk around that mildly surprised look on their face. And say, whoa, because they're kind of in this place where they're always just remembering that they can't remember what they were remembering. So they're, dude, where's my car? Yeah, <laughs> right. And um, I bring up those individuals because those people will always, no matter what it is that they're going to find as a way of controlling their state of being, they're always going to overdo it. It could be mm. alcohol, it could be pharmaceuticals, it could be cannabis, it could be. Uh, trying to use cough syrup to make some kind of drug. I mean, there are people in our culture and in our families and in the world that do not enjoy their lives in any way. Uh, they need to compensate for whatever it is that they need to compensate for, be it trauma or, you know, something like that. And I'm not judging these people. I'm just asking anyone listening to this to sit there and take a moment and have the compassion of a Buddhist for five seconds and go, yes, some people are in a deep place of suffering and will try and mask it or bury it or hide it or drug it. Hmm. And those people will always be here. Right. So when you look at the pink polar bear people, that again, that are sitting there going, it's all bad, everything's bad, oh my God, the sky is falling and it's going to be covered with cannabis. Um, it's because they see that one or two people that are the chronic stoners and they just think that's going to happen to everybody. And obviously it's not, hmm. right? But it's, it's just, you know, you find that one evidence, look look at that person ruining their life. Like yeah, they they did they they're gonna do that with whatever they can because no one's taking care of them. <laughs> and we're as a society, I mean, pardon me for using a bit of a swear word, but as a society, we're kind of assholes, really. Mm. I mean, and I mentioned this a couple of podcasts ago uh, after my experience with iboga. I mean, if human, and I'll say this every chance I get for the rest of my time here on this planet, if humanity has any chance as if in the future on this planet, it's going to be a team sport. So if you're the kind of person who can walk by a person on the street with no money and they're asking for money and in your mind, even if you don't give them any money, you think that they're lesser than you or irresponsible in some way that, you know, you're better than them and they, they should just grow up and get their proverbial poop together. That just makes you an asshole because you have no idea their life, their story. Maybe they are just a lazy person looking for a handout. Does that make them a bad person? No, it makes them a lazy person. Hmm. And that doesn't mean we should be judging them. That means we should find more creative ways to motivate each other instead of keep the polarization dance going. Uh, you know, when, when you talk about the um, uh, how people view uh, street people, mm -hmm. um, the thing that always comes to my mind is um, uh, it's just luck of the draw that I was actually born where I was. Yeah. Right? Um, like if there's some magic cloud up there in the sky and they're just pushing babies, uh, through that cloud <laughs> and they just drop and you know i happen to drop here you know and it drops babies at random sprinkles, right. <laughs> sprinkles them across the planet yeah little, planet, yeah, little stork 
Yeah. You know, like, um, how is it that I actually ended up here versus that person there on the street with the hand out? Yeah, and I just want to say clearly and quickly to the people in the United States, I'm not saying that there's something wrong in the United States. I'm saying that it's just much more, uh, uh, it's a bit of a louder um, experience to walk down the street, you know, and to see the difference between the haves and the have-nots, mm. what they call wealth inequality, which is a pretty big deal in the world. But there, it's it's just more um, the disdain for people without seems to be pretty, I don't know, common. Yeah, I'm sure that that's probably true, more true in some places than other. I mean, yeah. and I'm not gonna let you just blank it. <clears throat> no, no, but I mean, I just think like how many military vets live on the street, mm -hmm. you know, and, and seek whatever kind of drug uh, access they can get their hands on uh, because they're suffering from PTSD because they were tricked into going to war. Mm -hmm. You know, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I'm just saying that's a polarization that makes all of us look like passport. Mm -hmm. right. So, with um, the, the government wanting to legalize uh, cannabis here, um, and people having their sort of um, fears around what it could be, um, do you have a crystal ball as to how you see things playing out in the next couple of years with this? I think um, it's going to go, uh, say, left foot. Dispensaries disappear. Um, you can get whatever you can get made by the biggest companies like Marlboro now has Canada cigarettes. They're just waiting for new places to sell them. Um, so we're going to see either the worst of what commercial cannabis is going to look like um, in the sense that you can only buy whatever you can get from mystery places, uh, again, at a drug store or a liquor store. Um, so that would be my opinion, not so good. Or you're going to see dispensaries on, you know, every street that's not close to a school or a, a daycare or something like that, uh, where people can walk in and say, "Hey, Fred, nice to see you. I'm, you know, I've known you for 20 years. Really great. You, you know, renovated your paint store and turned it into a cannabis dispensary so that I can get access to my medicine and, uh, uh, you know, how so and so's farm doing. I, I hear that they had a really great crop this year, and I, I hear so and so, you know, um, um, has you know some new product line coming out that has a really really unique combination of things that uh, extends the um, applicable use of the cannabinoids that we have from cannabis. I mean, for me, that's the dream, to walk into a dispensary and see people who have taken literally a college-level course and they can say, oh my god, well, if you have, you know, that kind of psoriatic arthritis, not only should you be using this and this, you should be using this other thing, and we have this new product that, um, you know, some, I don't know, trying not to give away all my secrets kind of thing here, but, um, they don't, but um, just products that are designed very, very scientifically, you know, because that would be great in two years to walk into a dispensary, show your little document from a clinician saying you have a condition that qualifies you for access to medical cannabis and you just get the leading edge of what science can do with creative people without shackles. Mm. Is the, you said that they're the leading edge of science. Are things um, in the um, cannabis medical progressive community, are they actively um, still going ahead and doing research and trying to find bigger and better, like are they, are they doing more to find out what they can do with the, the plant, even with the sort of government um, ideas of, of legalization coming down the pipe? Uh, some people are, some people, depends on the country really. I mean, 
I think Israel is probably the head of the game because they've been actively researching this and applying that research since the 60s. Hmm. Is it legal there? I have no idea. I just know that's where the best research has been coming from for a long time. Okay. And then there's uh, um, like Amsterdam and uh, places where uh, things are fairly legal. So you just have obviously more people with a curiosity. And it goes back to how this conversation started. A lot of us can read. Right. And a lot of us that can read and have maybe a degree that has trained us with some basic chemistry and science are <clears throat> going to come up with some really interesting ideas. I just had a conversation a week ago with a guy uh, randomly bought in a coffee shop and overheard something and we got into this thing. I think he works in some really, really messy industry. Um, the one is supposed to get out of it because for his own health. And he just happens to be really, really passionate about cannabis and has trained himself in the biochemistry of extracting cannabis uh, alkaloids and protein. And uh, that guy's going to be a millionaire in about a year because he has applied himself. But there's no real restrictions to say that uh, anybody can. <laughs> like I said, you just answered that question already. If you can read, you can basically train yourself to, to do this sort of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, it would be nice to have that degree so you don't burn down your basement trying to figure out how to use a bones converter or something, but, uh, you know, but, but this I is... Oh, the story. But, I mean, this is the thing is, that if I had... I love that guy as an example, because if I ever had a chance to sit you know, in front of our government and I had my 15 minutes, I would just say, let's let the people who really want to apply themselves to this be the people who apply themselves to this. Because all this weird self-defense mumbo jumbo about how to put it, you know, 10 feet away from us so we can figure out how to begin to have a conversation about it. When we don't, most of those people don't even care. Mm. A lot of people in the government, they're just, oh, great, something else that you know, keeps us busy and <clears throat> in Israel. But do they really have a, um, a horse in the game? No, do they really have any relationship with you know, clinical medical care? Not at all. You know? So I think, you know, if we actually just said, let's let the democracy work the way a democracy is supposed to work, which is we the people decide to apply ourselves to uh, the most efficient, effective, and uh, scientific use of this plant to take care of each other. Because that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to be. Do you want a team support? <laughs> okay, so on that, it makes me think of uh, there's a few states where it's actually been legal for, I think it's over a year, two years. Yeah, couple years yeah. uh, Washington State, uh, Colorado. Oh, I'm going to go to Colorado for just a uh, month and hang out and, and check uh, it out. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing because I haven't read the country. So is it California and New York State as well? Um, I think California is just medical, although I think they're changing that this year. Okay. So there's the distinction with the legalization of cannabis really just has to do with the difference between whether or not the government of that area says you can access cannabis as a medical patient through medical dispensaries, or anyone can walk in and just buy it. Which I think, you know, at a certain point, in anyone can walk into any town in any developed part of the world and say the right words and go and buy cannabis around the corner in a back alley from somebody. So instead of being God, what is the word for that? I don't know. Afraid? Afraid. Um, I'm thinking of people who are trying to live back in the 50s, you know, like they, they just keep thinking the world needs to be under control and it needs to be safe and there's all these dangerous things out there. And it's like, it's been there every day from 1965. Can we just get over the fear and just let people do what people do? Because people do this. It's the whole idea of legal and illegal with a plant and... Mm. 
Well, my, my, my point in bringing up the states where it's actually legal, um, have you uh, read anything um, about how it's actually going there? I mean, are they all stoners in Washington State right now who aren't getting anything done? Or has dispensaries actually helped people in some way? Uh, there's no statistical proof in any way that this has caused any negative consequence at all. Anywhere that it's legal in the States? Yeah. So there's all these people going, what about the car accidents? What about the violence? What about the whatever? It's like, look at the actual statistics. I don't know if you've ever had the uh, experience of being in a car and being high. Uh, I'm just shaking my head here. I'm trying to say, well, I don't think I've ever driven a car under the influence, but I've been in a car. And you just want to go slow because everything just is, your, your mind doesn't have the greatest reflexes. So there's no way you're going to be driving like you would on alcohol. So in alcohol, you think you're some kind of movie star and you can, you know, deliberate turns, you know, because you saw it in a TV show because you're drunk. Whereas yes. when you're high, you're walking around going, whoa, slow down, everybody, chill out. <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't want to do anything risky. <laughs> and you really want to give everybody, like, you know, there's no road rage. It's like, oh, come on, man, you go ahead, you know. You know. So and I'm not saying being high and driving makes it safer. I'm just saying that the belief that people who are um, using, using cannabis medically or recreational are somehow people that are just really irresponsible and stupid. You know, so if I get high, I must be a really stupid, irresponsible person to get high. And then because I'm stupid and irresponsible, I'll probably drive now. So we, I've lived here for 20 years. I mean, half this town is only here because of cannabis. You know, that's how money works in this community. Absolutely. Not a lot of car accidents. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny, you see people, I mean, yeah, when I drive, because I usually live out of town, so I'm going to on the highway to get into another town, the only people that I ever see driving in a way that seems dangerous to me come from other parts of the world. Hmm. Well, you know, and when you say that, I think that one of my best friends here uh, revealed to me a conversation uh, last year. Uh, I think I've been for about five years now. Um, so it's probably been about one or two times in time that I've known you where I haven't been high. Oh, I see. Um, <laughs> so, oh, I know that person. <laughs> and I'm like, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's the most high-functioning person that I know. Mm -hmm. Most articulate, most intelligent, most uh, capable um, in all degrees. Yeah. Um, and um, he, I, I think he, he, he used the word high um, you know, kind of colloquially, you say that he kind of sort of use that as a, as a descriptor, but um, he medicates with uh, marijuana. He's been doing that for years, and it helps him with his anxiety. It helps him with his um, keeping him focused, of all things. Mm -hmm. um, and he knows himself. Yeah. And um, I wouldn't know him to be anything different. So he's not that you know, like the kind of guy in the couch with a bag of chips. <laughs> he's not a stoner. And again, that's the big quarters view of cannabis is right. that we must all be really irresponsible, stupid people who are so inebriated that we naturally are going to mistreat our children and probably burn the world down because they have no idea. And again, the presumption is it's just, you know, it's almost as um, rationally ridiculous. Um, good thing we got a recording of it somewhere because this thing just kept Oh. The crap out. Better. Sorry, I said the battery. <laughs> um, I'll go get the batteries. Or we could just keep talking on this thing. Okay, fine. <laughs> we'll have to, we'll have to do that. Um, hmm. 
It's all good, actually. There is an audio track that I can. Yeah, so, okay. After. Right. Um, where were we? Uh, the the idea of people being um, self responsible when it comes to actually using uh, cannabis or marijuana or weed or, or whatever it is. I, I I don't see them as being a, a huge threat to society here in Nelson. And I, I guess I'm sort of asking if that's the case elsewhere in the world where it is actually really live. Mm -hmm. like Washington State or Colorado. And yeah, I mean, not only have they paid billions of dollars in infrastructure repairs, schools, libraries, um, uh, treatment centers for people who are addicted to actually dangerous chemicals like heroin or the um, opiate a crisis in the world right now because the pharmaceutical peeps are actually really quite terrifyingly irresponsible in what they're doing. You know, especially with respect to the conversation we're having. Like, who is the bad drug dealer in the world? Right. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, that thing's recording again. We're back. After a little <laughs> little little medical glitch here on the uh, on the pocket recorder. Battery's tied. Bad recorder. Um, bad producer for not noticing in the first place. <laughs> here, watch this. <laughs> bad Mikey for not just doing it because I thought about it when I was in the hardware store this morning. Going, I should get batteries just in case. Yeah. Um, so we're back after uh, putting a fresh set of batteries into this thing um, and recording. And um, the whole idea of the podcast today was to talk about what is actually working around um, uh, medical marijuana, cannabis. And, and I would say we are covering that in the sense of politics and how dispensaries work. Mm -hmm. But I think it would be also cool for people to get a sense of what uh, down and dirty in the sense of the treatment of illness is actually working. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I'm not going to talk about that. You are. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'd be fun to see where you're at with it. <laughs> I, might ha I might have a few questions for you, but that's about as far as it'll go. So um, we'll just ask you point blank. Uh, what is working? Oh, funny you should ask. <laughs> Um, in my opinion and my experience, uh, both as a patient and as a clinician who, um, and I, I guess I should be very clear with something. Uh, so my license as a clinician is as a doctor of traditional Chinese medicine, although I do have training in functional medicine and all the other things that I've learned over the years. Um, I only, the actual license I have with the magic number is in Chinese medicine. Uh, the Supreme Court of Canada made a decision that allows uh, medical doctors, naturopaths, doctors of Chinese medicine, and a certain uh, class of nurses. I'm not sure exactly which group. Um, I think it's the registered nurses that are at the higher kind of tier of nursing. Um, <clears throat> anyone with those licenses can confirm uh, that a person, uh, as a, as a medical patient has a specific condition, right? So although as a Chinese doctor, when someone comes in with say, and I already said psoriatic arthritis, so I'll go with that one. <laughs> sure. Um, you know, anyone with any kind of medical training that is licensed can say, yes, Sally has psoriatic, psoriatic arthritis. And that definitely is a very painful condition. And it definitely is an autoimmune process. And given Health Canada's present status for uh, conditions and access to cannabis, that definitely qualifies you. So uh, any of those people with those licenses can fill out a document saying, I can attest and confirm that Sally has psoriatic arthritis. You know, she was diagnosed, you know, you know, at this time and has been given these medications for the, you know, her condition, which proves she requires treatment. So if a patient has a, a condition that 
uh, qualifies them and they require treatment presently and in the sense they've got a handful of pharmaceuticals or something, then, you know, we can sign a document that basically says maybe you should be uh, using cannabis because, well, it's not that we should say you should be, it's that we say if you choose to use cannabis, that's your right. I can sign a piece of paper saying you have, as far as I can tell, the medical need right? and, mm-hmm. and you qualify because your condition qualifies you, which honestly is kind of a goofy thing. Now, what's interesting is that no college of acupuncture, Chinese medicine, college of naturopathic medicine, college of physicians and surgeons is saying, you should do that. They're all saying, don't do that. Really? Yeah. Because they they don't want anything to do with it. And the reason why, and this is where the semantics get annoying, um, for any clinician to say, I recommend, Sally, you should go and get yourself some cannabis, and Sally, for whatever reason, has a really bad reaction to the cannabis and, you know, punches her daughter in the nose or something like that because she's losing her marbles, which I can't imagine happening on cannabis, but I'm trying to come up with something bad. <laughs> um, and then she decides to sue the doctor that prescribed it to her or recommended it to her. And that doctor is, has no malpractice insurance for cannabis errors because nobody does. And the colleges of all clinical models of care their job is to protect the public and to keep us from doing anything that makes the insurance companies upset because then our insurance goes up and there's, you know, the, the profession looks foolish because there's a big newspaper case about irresponsible doctors prescribing irresponsible medications. So we're at this really weird walking on eggshells place where, you know, well, no, I, we can't do that. So if people are wondering, because I get a lot of phone calls about this, no, I cannot prescribe cannabis for you. No, I cannot help you get a license for cannabis to grow it or produce it or anything like that. So I just wanted to put that there because once this podcast goes out and if hundreds of people listen to it and they all call me up going, hey man, can you get me a, get, get me hooked up with the, the, the cannabis? And I'm going to say, no, I'm sorry, but I mean, as an educator, I can help you uh, apply it properly. So when it comes to what is working, I, I, I'm just going to share what I would hmm. share with anybody. So uh, before you go too far with that, the idea of somebody suing your doctor for prescribing something um, that screwed them up. Does that happen with, um, I guess, pharmaceuticals? Yep. A lot? I, I, do, I, I, I would be the last thing I would ever spend my time in the sense of I can read. <laughs> just looking at how bad uh, the legal system is um, I, I just feel so, for that. so um, out to lunch. I mean, I don't know the first thing about prescriptive drugs, let alone cannabis so <laughs> i don't even know why i'm sitting here sometimes I'm just... well i mean just i mean there's a reason why doctors have malpractice yeah okay I mean, people make mistakes uh doctors make mistakes patients make mistakes and people sue doctors all the time i mean it's it's there's lawyers who actually i mean you've probably seen lawyer tv shows where there's some crap lawyer who's an ambulance chasing guy who says we can sue the doctors we can sue the this guy yeah, yeah. we can sue the that guy so. that's the thing sure okay well um so I just bring that up because a lot of people may be scratching their head going, why is this stuff so hard to get like lawful access to? It's because of passive aggressive, you know, governing bodies, you know, sitting there with a stick in the mud waiting for somebody else to make a better decision. And that's actually why I'm writing that course because at some point, and now that I'm recording this and it's the impending you know, dun, 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 of me getting a letter from my governing body saying, you know, we're concerned that you're 
uh, relationship with cannabis may harm our profession or something like that. Uh, please cease and desist all things. I'm waiting every day for that letter to show up because, mm-hmm. uh, eventually they're going to get upset that I'm doing things like podcasts and stuff about cannabis, you know, although I try and be very careful with my legalese and my prefaces and other things. So, so I'm not well, breaking the rules yeah, badly, would, but at the same time, I would say that you're, you're, you're educating on this subject as much as you are on other subjects that you talk about. Yeah, it's just but when I'm, it comes to governing bodies, it's it's always about the punishment. Right, right. So anyway, the, the, another reason I'm developing that course is when I, inevitably I do have to have a little bit of an arm wrestle with the governing body of my profession. My response is, guess what? We are going to have to, as doctors of traditional Chinese medicine, in especially British Columbia, in this part of the world where cannabis is just a part of the culture. I mean, it's the left coast. it's it's not the it's not the west coast people call it the left coast because we're all almost all like pretty liberal in the way that we see the world right so um if if governing bodies and i'm not just picking on my governing body but if all governing bodies that you know control clinicians of all different ilks are not actively pursuing proper education for all of us people with licenses, that's a passive aggressive error that is endangering our patients and society. And their job as, as governing bodies is to protect the public. So by not producing uh, or, or contracting out an educational opportunity to ensure competency for all clinicians in this country, that's the most dangerous thing that we're doing. And my solution is, can I please have 15 hours of these people's lives at their convenience to explain exactly how this works, what the contraindications are, what the different strains are and what they do, you know, which, you know, how many hours between this and Percocet make the most sense. Cause I'm a nerd. I mean, let me use my nerd powers to educate people so that there's less harm done in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's interesting. I mean, as much as I know you as a medical professional, um, who is, a teacher slash doctor, probably in that order. Um, it just really surprises me that um, the mainstream medical model doesn't do that. You know, I, I look at the way my parents actually deal with uh, their lives and their health and that sort of thing. They're in their 80s. And, um, you know, they've been sort of led along the whole medical, um, mainstream medical model uh, for the past uh, 20 odd years of their lives kind of thing. Um, and it's been very helpful to them in a lot of ways. Um, and, and yet I still see places where they, uh, they sort of get caught short where, um, they don't know what they're doing. They're just doing what they're told. Yeah. And I would say since the conversation is what is working, I mean, I think it's a really good leaping point that we're speaking to what isn't working. Hmm because a lot of this stuff isn't working. And I think that's why I just did that segue into how professional bodies are kind of stuck in the mud, because if they're actually taking their role as protectors of the public seriously, they would be doing what I'm trying to get going here, right? So what isn't working is the present relationship with medical cannabis, because we're all being passive aggressive about it in the sense of, instead of just, just embracing, oh my God, one of the most potent medicines on the planet and one of the safest medicines on the planet can now be applied to anyone who needs help if they choose that as their medicine. And mm-hmm. why aren't we making that like a huge celebration? Was, was there ever a point in history when uh, cannabis was used for medicine and it wasn't illegal? Yeah, up until 1932. Really? Well, maybe, well, it's in the States. I'm not sure exactly when it was in Canada. And that was due mostly to competition for oil. 
because you can take hemp oil, which is a really easy thing to make buckets out of, because the plants are weed. They call them weed because it grows everywhere <laughs> yeah. and produces all these little seeds that are full of oil. So, um, yeah, it was basically the oil industry and then the pharmaceutical industry. I don't remember the exact court case, but it was something to do with opiates and, uh, and opium itself. Uh, that they just decided to start classifying drugs as um, Schedule One or you know things like that, and the only reason cannabis was ever put in that was because it was competing with other industries. Wow, and so what was it like? Like how was it used uh, medically or medicinally um, up until that point? Oh, I don't know. Let's see. Thomas Jefferson used to smoke it in a pipe <laughs> hmm. regularly. Um, I put it, I said the Constitution of the U.S. I don't know why I know this, but it's actually written on hemp paper. So. Uh, but it used to be a, like an alcohol uh, extract where you just get a, you know, an indica or a sativa extract and you would sip it like cough syrup or something like that and have a nap or get back to work because now everything doesn't hurt. In, in Chinese medicine, we have written records of the use of every part of that plant to go back to 4,800 years ago. Wow. That's a lot of research. Yeah. That's a lot. I mean, well, or that we've been using it that long and knowing how to use it for that long well, yeah. medically. Well, and that, that's, that's what I mean is that, you know, uh, from what I understand, just based on conversations with you and my own reading around what Chinese um, sciences are like, they just, I mean, 4,800 years is a long time to be studying one subject. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. And especially the way that they, they have... Um, yeah, just incredible. Wow, that's really interesting. And, and so, so those are the things that I think aren't working. Yeah. But what is working, um, I think the easiest thing to get into is almost all chronic illness has in some way a component that has to do with inflammation or immune system dysregulation or both. Okay. I mean, and that, that sounds like the most common sense thing. If you're sick, obviously your immune system isn't doing something, right? <laughs> Well, I don't know. I think it's actually doing what it's supposed to. Yeah, I mean, in a way, but I mean, I'm just making fun of the idea that, right. duh. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the most powerful things that any, any person in the long term can do with chronic illness is immune regulation, right? So let's say you're a bus and you're driving down a bridge and there's something wrong with the suspension and your bus tends to drift to the left. So you're always overcompensating, trying to steer to the right. And if you weren't doing that, you weren't regulating your immune system in some way, it would drift into the left side of the bridge, causing sparks and noises and, you know, horrible things. And those would be considered symptoms. And the sparks could be like pain or inflammation just to keep the imagery fun. And at the same time, you know, maybe your bus has a bit of a problem and it drifts to the right. So those left and right pathways are actual immune system pathways that produce certain kinds of immune responses. Some are histological in the sense of swelling and redness and itching and pain. Some are more intracellular that run things around <coughs> like viral immunity and things like genetic uh, issues, cancer and stuff like that. So we have these two different kind of, you know, and I'm oversimplifying profoundly something here, but you know, you have kind of dysfunctional pathway to the left, dysfunctional pathway to the right. But if you can keep that bus in the middle of the bridge, no sparks, no damage, you know, chance for the body to re-up itself and, you know, spend more of its energy and nutrients on repair instead of on grinding up against the side of a bridge. Mm -hmm. So again, immune reg regulation is huge and you can do that simply with CBD. Hmm. Now, I'm going to have to go for another analogy because imagery is fun. So let's say that there's a construction site and there's the guy who's the foreman 
and he's got a white hat and a little clipboard and he walks around with, you know, a certain uptight expression on his face, trying to make sure everyone realizes he's really serious about keeping this thing together. And, uh, what happens if the guy with the white hat and the clipboard just happens to leave the construction site at 10 o'clock in the morning and not come back? I would think a whole bunch of things would go sideways. I just picture, you know, coolers of beer and barbecues and nail gun wars and all kinds of fun, I don't know, throwing star contests under the plywood or something like that. (laughs) Because, you know, the point is the cat's away and your immune system is going to go bonkers if you have a chronic illness. So uh, by having the guy with the white hat and the clipboard or something like CBD, which is a profoundly effective immune regulator in five different ways, what do you think is going to happen? Your construction site's going to look like a very, very well-run construction site. Now, given that immune modulation is a pretty important thing, what if you were to add other things like vitamin D or uh, vitamin K2 or things like chaga, you know, ashwagandha, all the other adaptogens that are known as immune regulators? What if you were to add uh, plant-based anti-inflammatories to also reduce the, the harm? Uh, I mean, that's the, my, my primary protocol for everyone with autoimmune disease is CBD, vitamin D, 3 K2, and a plant-based anti-inflammatory that's appropriate for where their body is having the most immune system dysfunction. And if you do that three times a day, again, imagine construction site, guy with clipboard, now your immune system is basically really, really well organized, and it's not running around making a mess. Hmm. And so far, you're not doing anything psychoactive. Just by the way, CBD does not make you high at all. Right? Next thing we get people to do in the sense of what really works, and I love talking about this because it's really goofy, um, is using topical ointments everywhere your body has any somatic sense of being wounded. Hmm. So anywhere it feels like it hurts? Or anywhere you're holding on to tension or you're somaticizing trauma or anything. And this is what the fun, the fun part is, is that, um, you know, human beings are animals. We're basically primates. And believe it or not, 80% of us as primates has no interest in language or watching or listening to podcasts or even making podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) So when you can effectively reduce the wounded alarms in the back of the brain of any primate, its immune system is going to reflect that shift. Because if you don't feel like a wounded animal, you're probably not going to be eaten by a really big cat. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you walk around feeling like, you know, I can barely lift up my arm and I got that butterflies in my stomach and I clench my jaw all the time. You're just telling the back of your brain that you're in a very unsafe environment and you're not adapting to it at all very well. Hmm. So by using simply topical ointments to just reduce the somatic memory of dysfunction or pain or stress or trauma, now your monkey brain feels like it's like black belt parkour, you know, (laughs) Jedi monkey that bring on the cats. Yeah. Right. And that profoundly changes the physiology of your immune system because now you've changed your state in a way that the back of your brain reads you as more effective and more adaptable. So now your immune system is no longer running on the same dysfunctional stress hormones. Hmm. And again, you're not high because you rubbed it on your boo boo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or your your neck or your your uh inflamed knee. And it isn't just that you're putting the cannabis on your knee to reduce the pain. Because cannabis changes the way your immune system talks to the rest of your immune system. So now you have this mediation of molecules from your knee to the back of your brain. Hmm. Right? So who'd have thunk it? The internet of your uh, immune system can be given a really, really charming, happy way of communicating with itself. Instead of walking around waiting for the next virus to take you out in the immune system internet analogy. It's fascinating to think that... uh 
CBD or anything cannabis related is actually um, designed to actually do good in our body. Like I, I think you told that that was in another podcast or we've had that in, in conversation. Didn't you say that there's something in us innately that actually knows what to do with that information? Yeah, we have what's called an endocannabinoid system. It's been in all skeletal mammals and fish for 3 million years. So even dinosaurs could have gotten high. <laughs> Um, so there's molecules inside of our, uh, immune system, especially in our neurophysiological communication system called, you know, endocannabinoids. A couple of them are pretty popular. One is called anandamide. Uh, ananda is Sanskrit for bliss. So they actually called it the bliss molecule mm -hmm. and they found it because they found THC uh, in the sixties and it took them another 20 years to find a molecule in our body that looked like THC. And the reason all that happened was because if THC makes humans high, there must be a way for that chemical to interact with our body specifically in that way. So how is that possible? How can some plant make humans high? There's gotta be a, like a door that you can, you know, walk in and make you high. And so, yeah, so basically you're just operating on the endocannabinoid system, but CBD, uh, there's terpenes in, in different kinds of cannabis. Uh, there's all kinds of, of, of compounds in any strain of cannabis and every strain is different. And when you get into the connoisseur people, you know, there's hundreds of strains that are, you know, genetically kind of fiddled with for just the exact kind of high you're looking for. If you like a certain kind of high, <laughs> you know, there's the Tuesday afternoon after, <clears throat> you know, I've done my house cleaning high. And the, the, the Sunday <laughs> afternoon in a sunny window recording a podcast high. Yeah. You're in a shadow. I'm in the glare. It's kind of weird. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. But then there's a Saturday morning cartoon high or whatever. So like it's a gourmet thing with respect to that. But so far in our conversation about what's working medically, we haven't even gotten to using anything that even makes people high. And we've already solved half of people's medical problems. Wow. Is there more that you want to say about all this? That's just a couple. Yeah. So the next thing I would suggest anyone look into with respect to medical cannabis, and again, I'm saying this as an educator, I could not recommend this, <laughs> um, is, you know, look into using um, like an indica specific uh, tincture or uh, isolate or oil because you want to be able to control the milligrams. And again, smoking only lasts 90 minutes. So if you're using an indica to smoke, one, you're telling your primate immune system you're in a forest fire because that's the only time primates inhale burning plant material. Just FYI. <laughs> Not using this medically, but I'm fidgeting because I feel like I'm on fire. Anyway, uh, indicas are very, very, especially when you ingest them orally, are very much a body-centered, uh, soporific, couch-locking, nap-time kind of experience. Hmm. So THC, CBD, all the terpenes, other alkaloids that are in cannabis in, in proper extracts are all going to have positive medical impact on human health. But a lot of people, believe it or not, don't want to get high. Hmm. So if you were to take an indica concentrate, just the right number of milligrams, a couple hours before bed, comes on in 90 minutes to two hours. As soon as you feel a bit goofy, just go to bed and you'll just go to sleep. Hmm. And you'll wake up the next day, hopefully with your alarm clock and hopefully remembering how to use car keys. Because if you've used too much, you're going to wake up with a hangover. You're going to wake up at noon or next week or something. <laughs> uh, and again, that's why you want to be able to measure the dose. Cause as long as you can get your dose just right, you can predict the dose and the response. Some people, um, who don't have very good sleep, then they're going to want to use more of the THC to knock themselves out. Hmm. I mean, I've had bad sleep my whole life because of PTSD. So, I mean, I've figured about my, my dose and you know, I can get my sleep that way. 
which is wonderful for me as a patient to be able to say, wow, I can walk into a dispensary and get an indica extract uh, and, and take it predictably two hours before bed medically and then brush my teeth. And as soon as I get kind of weirdly imaginative and kind of floppy, I just go to bed and wake up on time and I'm all perky and ready to go. Right. So here, here's a real quick thing. Um, let's say you're taking 20 milligrams of an indica concentrate and you wake up in the morning and you do feel a bit hungover. So what you do is you go down to say 15, but then you might wake up at five in the morning and feel restless because you're not having enough of the sedative effect. So what you would, re what I would recommend someone consider doing or researching about, because I just said the word recommend, damn it. <laughs> what I would ask someone to go and look into <laughs> for themselves. Here's a possibility. Yeah, go and read this, <laughs> <laughs> you know, blog on my, my, my uh, website. Um, would be to go and take either some, believe it or not, dried mango slices. There's two or three terpenes in, in mangoes that mirror the terpenes in um, an indica cannabis that actually uh, accelerate sleep drive. And there's also the same terpenes in hops and, and uh, I don't know, there's a dozen other um, herbal medicines that we know are good for sleep. But when you mix those herbal medicines with cannabis, because it's just a medicinal herb, you know, it's... <laughs> Um, by mixing it with other medicines, now you're going to get more sleep drive and less of a hangover, right? And that's profoundly cool for me because now you can take people who are really, really reticent to have a psychoactive experience and they could use cannabis and other herbs, get just enough sleepiness to fall asleep and enough uh, of the soporific effect to get a good night's sleep and wake up and not feel hungover and walk around going, no, I am not a stoner. No, I do not require to be psychoactively messed up to function in the world, but it definitely helps me sleep. It's fascinating. Yeah. So, and again, I would say the last thing I ever bring up to people, you know, A to Z, this is the Z or C or there's another word for it. <laughs> Depends on what side of the border we're on. Yep. Uh, again, if you're going to use cannabis during the day, especially THC, in terms of the law, you can't drive. Uh, technically, you cannot raise children. You cannot care for invalids or the elderly. Uh, you should not be juggling your pet porcupines because you're probably going to drop them on their head and... Hurt the porcupine. Yeah, poor porcupines. I'm just trying to have some fun with what people think goes on in Canada. You know? <laughs> wow, those guys are weird. <laughs> Come on, it's beavers. We juggle beavers. Oh, beavers, there. right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, uh, you, you know, if you're using THC during the day, you are, um, in terms of medicine, a patient who requires pretty critical care. So again, if you're going to use THC during the day and you require an immediate effect from your medicine, then you're going to use a vaporizer. But at the same time you're using your vaporizer, use your edible, right? So smoke wears off, edible comes on, and for six or seven hours, your medicine should give you the relief you need. Mm -hmm. And you're, again, getting exactly the milligrams you need. Whereas if you take some random edible, and it's so hard to get the concentration in edibles uh, to be accurate, <clears throat> it could be anything. You know, and also if you're a medical patient, eating edibles that look like lollipops and brownies and gummies and stuff are probably full of sugar and crap. So you don't want to be eating sugar and crap because you're a patient. You're sick. Stop hurting yourself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so many things to think about. Yeah. Um, so that's what I say. That's what's working right now mm -hmm. is recognizing that the psychoactive part is only a part of it. And it's the part we have to have the least reliance on because it limits our capacity the most. Right. It's not rocket science. Right. Well, and I just think it's it's fascinating that there's so much um, understanding of something that's been uh, only illegal for, you know, um, not even 100 years, 
you know, illegal by some people's standards, um, the health benefit that the, the potential health benefit is uh, is where my curiosity goes around all this, and I'm really excited to see how things are going to progress um, with laws and lawmakers and dispensaries <laughs> and all that other kind of stuff that's might. Uh, it, it, it's uh, it's the wild west in terms of uh, I think how it's going to roll out. Yeah, I think w- when July 2018 comes around and everyone in Canada is allowed to grow their own, um, which just sounds so annoying to have to say, "Oh, we're allowed to grow a plant in our basement." Anyway, after that, probably five months after that, in terms of house fires and mold illness and a bunch of other stuff, there's going to be enough people up in arms saying, can I just go to a store and buy the stuff that I know isn't going to be made <clears throat> by a crappy company who's going to microwave my medicine and screw up how it works. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to, it's going to be about, my, my crystal ball says two, two and a half years, and we're going to be right back to where we are right now, which is dispensaries are the only way you're going to get access to medical cannabis unless the government takes over and the pharmaceuticals try and, you know, do their version of it, which isn't going to be the best for all of us because those people aren't interested in healthcare. They're interested in having people buy their stuff. And I'm saying, I mean, I'm not saying people in dispensaries aren't interested in you buying their stuff. At least they're getting it from local growers who love the plant. Hmm. Yeah. Different, uh, different take on, uh, how health happens from the guys in the white coats to the, uh, the guys with the sticky fingers from Truman Bud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm very hopeful. I mean, you know, as a clinician, as a patient, I'm just really hopeful that um, we're going to do this as wisely as we can. And I'm also really, really happy that no matter what the government decides to do, we've had this little bubble of dispensaries and websites now. So no matter what they decide to do, unless they try and crack down on or changing the Supreme Court rules, um, people are just going to mail order it because they, they, they know it's the best. They've, they've experienced the difference. Why would they possibly go to the liquor store to buy random weirdness with a big branded label from a company you already don't like? Right. And from a guy who doesn't know what you're buying or oh, he, oh, yeah, they're, they're like, selling. Yes. Oh, actually, no, I have a friend in, in, she works in the local liquor store, the government liquor store. Mm-hmm. And we bumped into each other somewhere and she says, yeah, I have to take a course this fall so I can understand how to tell people cannabis stuff. Cause apparently we're going to have it, you know, in the next year. Wow. So I don't know if that's on the, supposed to be on the down low or whatever, but I was just, oh, that's cool that, you know, they're going to do that. But I would never go there for what I want. Cause I know how to get stuff from the people that I know that actually make it in a commercial kitchen with amazing technology and it's the it's the cleanest things you can get so why would i ever go anywhere else i'm picturing going to uh walmart to to buy auto parts and asking the person behind the counter for mechanic advice on how to fix something in my car yeah yeah that's kind of how it goes um i think we're done yeah i'm done i'm done Okay, we're done. <laughs> uh, this has been an interesting podcast. So this is the first time that Michael and I have tried to record uh, both our voices and uh, to do a video. Hi, little camera. Um, using Zoom. Not sure how this is all going to pan out. Hopefully, um, we'll iron out some kinks, mm-hmm. including getting batteries. <laughs> <laughs> Fresh batteries. Uh this is uh, the part of the podcast where we say thanks for listening and uh, that you are our marketing budget. So if you like what you heard today, share it with a friend. Uh, you can share that on Facebook. You can tag us. Uh, look for Fusion Health Radio there. Um, you can find us wherever you get your fresh 
podcasts. <laughs> Stitcher, iTunes, Podbean. Uh, we're all over the damn internet. Yeah, please rate and review. And uh, I haven't figured out how to do this. I'm sure we'll figure it out soon. Uh, but if you do that, just find me on Facebook and say, hey, I did the R&R thing on Podbean or iTunes or wherever. And I'll send you a copy of the Returning to an Ancestral Diet ebook. It's like 600 pages of gourmet food. Your book. Yep. Yeah. Make sure you tell people that. Oh, yeah. I wrote a book. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote a yummy book. Yeah. I wrote a yummy book. Uh, and it can also be used as a doorstopper because it weighs 1.2 kilograms. <laughs> the ebook is the way to go. You go with the ebook. <laughs> I need yeah. my cannabis from carrying Dr. Mike's book around. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Uh, this has been uh, Fusion Health Radio, the Health, Lifestyle, and Mindset Podcast, Episode 37, Medical Cannabis. What's working? Mm-hmm. What is working? What, what is, is working? What is working? Yeah. I think that's, yeah, is that the name of it? That's what we're going to call it, yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, folks, uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Fusion Health Radio. Please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio.